Hi, my name is Amar. I'm a rising senior and econ student at Case Western. Hi, everyone. My name is Zach, and I'm a first-year medical student at the CUNY School of Medicine. And welcome to the MSX Podcast. In this week's episode, we brought a guest that can talk about how to find your why and making meaningful experiences out of your life. Amy Dong is a Fulbright Scholar and debut author of 20 Years Young, a personal essay collection about what it means to grow up. So, Amy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to be on. Cool. And so for the listeners to get the most out of this discussion, I think it would be great to get to know a little bit more about your path because it's pretty unconventional to say the least. Yeah, for sure. So my <laughs> my path began, I'll, I'll just start with college. I went to NYU Stern as a business student, um, had no idea what finance was, even though I knew it was a finance heavy school and tried it for two summers, really didn't like it, tried consulting, thought it was okay. But in the back of my mind, I was always a liberal arts nut. I grew up in high school using writing as my form of therapy. So I really wanted to return to that and also try something more along the lines of teaching because I was always really into mentorship and helping people figure out, you know, how to develop their voice and and find confidence in that. So in my junior year of college, I decided to major in economics and sustainable business. But at the same time, I applied for a Fulbright grant Uh, from the U.S. government to help me teach English in Taiwan. I recently just returned from doing that, and it was the first job I have ever held in my life out of the dozens of random part-time jobs I've had um, that really felt like a calling. And as cliche that sounds, it, it felt like that because it was something that despite the challenges, despite how Um, difficult it sometimes was. It was a place that I could see myself making a lot of impact, not only on on myself, but on the other people around me. And I, as someone who really cherishes her relationships with her teachers, it was, it was something that really brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. I'd love to learn more about your time in Taiwan as a Fulbright scholar teaching English. Were there any student experiences that really stood out to you as a time when you're like, wow, teaching is really something I want to do? Yeah, that's a great question. There were several students that stood out to me. I I taught all of seventh and eighth grade at a public middle school in Taipei. And a lot of the time students would just hang out with me after class or before class and ask me a lot of questions about America. And one student was like, teacher Amy, can you speak in Chinese with us? Because they knew I could speak it. And I told them only if you promise to speak with me in English. And so for the rest of that time and for the rest of class, they spoke pretty well. Um, and they used only English just so that they could hear me speak Chinese at the end. But what really shocked me was that at the end of class, my co-teacher came up to me and she said, Amy, that was such a weird class. And I said, why? And she was like, well, usually that little girl named Ashley, she never ever raises her hand or participates in my English class, but I have never seen her talk so much before. And she actually talked so well. And for me, that was a very powerful moment in saying it's not just about what you teach, it's about how you teach it, how you support someone, how you raise, lift someone's confidence. I had the privilege and and the luck of being a foreign teacher. So, you know, I just, just so happened to be a little bit more interesting and foreign in that aspect, but that made me feel like, okay, I do have something to contribute to this field. And when I think about purpose and finding your why, Um, There are three types of jobs that I would consider it's on a spectrum. So a job is something that pays the bills. A career is something that pays the bills and it's something that you're pretty good at. And a profession is something that pays the bills 
that you're pretty good at and that you actually enjoy doing. And you feel like you're unique, uniquely positioned to do that. And what I mean by that is say a lot of people want to be doctors. Um, the people who make the best doctors are probably those with a lot of personal experience with healthcare, um, whether that's seeing their parents go through something or um, growing up and realizing that they really, really love biology and are just, they just so happen to be really, really good at memorizing parts of the human body. And, and it's those little moments of self-awareness that that slowly build up into what people consider a calling or a purpose. Um, it's never really a one day awakening type thing. <laughs> Going back to that topic you said about, you know, writing, you mentioned that it acted as a form of therapy in your life yeah. as a writer. What is it about it to you that made it so beneficial? Yeah, for me, writing is very much like talking to myself, but in a formulaic and slowed down manner. When I'm speaking with you guys, I can speak at however many words per minute, but when I'm writing, it's much slower. Um, but that also helps me slow down my thoughts and it lets me visualize my thoughts. So in my journals, sometimes I'll draw Venn diagrams of of different thoughts that I have, or I'll draw like a pros con list of like, you know, what did I learn from this experience and what do I still need to learn from it? And also journaling is great because very rarely will someone else read your words. So you can be as honest as you want to be. Uh, I often write when I'm really upset or uh, when I'm really, really happy. So it's at those emotional extremes where my writing comes out most clearly. And that definitely helped me end up writing my collection of personal essays. So people often ask me, you know, like, where did you get the idea for 21 years young? And I say it sort of like the ideas have been accumulating and percolating in my brain for the past seven or eight years. And only finally in 2020 with the pandemic, did I just force myself to sit down and put all those um, thoughts to, to formal public paper. <laughs> I'd love to learn more about what other experiences shaped you know, your personal why. Yeah, the biggest one is related to healthcare um, and is something that still terrifies me to this day. But in 2017, I just came back from studying abroad in Europe and I thought I was this cool kid who knew how to travel the world and was very independent. Um, but I went to go see, I just went for like an annual physical checkup and I went to go see a dietitian because you know, there were some things that were sort of wrong that I could see, but I just wanted to know what, what was happening. And what ended up happening was I got diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, which is um, a severe type of eating disorder. And my physician told me, Amy, your heartbeat is 39 beats per minute. Your heart has shrunk. Your thyroid is really small. Your skin is orange because you seem to have eaten too many carrots in your, in the past few months. And I was like, you must be joking. And she was like, no, I'm, I have never been more serious when I said, um, that you're lucky to be alive. And she told me she was surprised that I hadn't had a heart attack yet. She was surprised that I wasn't in the ICU and, I just really didn't believe her at the time. I thought it was some sick joke. But what I ended up realizing was that I had somehow almost killed myself by, by indulging in sort of um, behaviors that I thought were actually healthy, but ended up just being coping mechanisms for a lot of the stress and anxiety that I was avoiding in my life. And a lot of that stemmed from, you know, societal expectations, also parental expectations as um, a daughter of Chinese immigrants and 
there are just so many things that I had pushed to the side and coped with by starving myself. And of course, with eating disorders, anyone with an eating disorder, anyone who has these symptoms will tell you it's never about the food. It's always something physiological or psychological underneath. And so that moment of reckoning, that near-death experience really, really um, reshifted my perspective on life. And it's like that cliche thing where, you know, if you only had one day left to live, what would you want to have done with your life? And from that day forward, I, I think about that all the time, even now, like I'm not someone who's super old, I'm actually really young, but I have that perspective of if I only have a few years left, you know, who are the people that I want to keep close to me? What is the impact that I want to have? And how can I do that without wasting any time? And for me, I, I really found my purpose to be helping other young adults find their purpose. Like I, I launched my own freelance business called The Life Project, where I just work with young adults to help them find their why. And instead of giving them advice as if I'm some like 80 year old wise person, I kind of just t- walk them through all the things that I failed at in life and all the things that made me realize like, you know, taking risks is actually a great thing to do if, when you're young. Um, and, you know, you can find what your passion is if you ask yourself, not what do I, what makes me happy every single day? But the question I always say is, what are you willing to suffer for? Because if you're willing to suffer for something and sacrifice time and energy and, and money, um, that is that is something that ultimately is what is meaningful to you. I'd love to talk a little bit more about uh, suffering. Uh, <laughs> you know, as you're helping other people find their why, and you we've talked about uh, you know how the why and how the healthcare field is often from trauma, and uh, a part of your why is also from trauma. Is it necessary to have? like to experience trauma as a prerequisite for finding your purpose? Definitely not necessary, but often serves as a catalyst. There are so, so many books out there that are written about, you know, I, I lost my mom and then I discovered X or I suffered from this disease and I recovered and therefore why. Um, and it's, it's not surprising. There are so many psychoanalysis books like Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor. And he talks about this idea that when you go through a near-death experience, you will be forced to reckon with those things of like, what really matters? What are your values? What do you care about? That being said, I wouldn't wish those kinds of things upon anyone. And for people who are also lucky enough to have not gone through those things, they can absolutely still find what is meaningful to them. I would just argue it takes a little bit more digging in terms of almost creating hypothetical scenarios of saying, you know, if I do have this much left, this much time left, or if I can go without, you know, a a job in finance or consulting um, and not make as much money, you know, what is something that would make me wake up happy when I'm 80 years old and say like, I'm really glad that I did that. Like, what are those what ifs that you don't want to have left in your life? Um, And that's, that's why a lot of people in my life think I'm a grandma in some ways, because I think about a lot of these grave issues um, a little bit more than the average 20, 22 year old person. Uh, But then again, it's, it's almost a, it's a very gratifying thing to feel as well, to, to recognize, to, 
to recognize that death is there. Memento mori, right? Remember death. It's a very, it's a stoic term that basically just says your life is meaningful because there is an end. So before that end happens, what are two to three things that you want to see? And it doesn't have to be something like cure cancer or end world hunger. It's almost impossible for one person to fix a problem like that. But something, think of even something small, like you want to raise a good family or you want to um, support your older sibling through like a disability that they might have. Like all of those things can be considered purpose. Um, it doesn't have to be associated with a, a job either. It can be within your work, within your personal life, um, even within your hobbies. I guess touching back to the nature of your job, I was wondering how exactly could you differentiate if you are in the job, you have a career or you have a true profession? Yeah, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> I think of it from a almost prideful perspective, I, I ask myself, what do I think um, very few other people could do that I can do and that I like doing? That is almost the question that I would ask. Um, my sister is in her fourth year of med school right now. She's about to go into residency. And for her, medicine was the answer because she was born with a cleft lip and palate and she had over 12 surgeries in her life. And she just so happened to be a genius at biology and chemistry. I don't remember seeing her study a single time for science, even though she always failed her history tests. So for her, she had that personal story, a really um, intimate connection with surgeons, but she also just happened to be good at it. And she was like, okay, that's it for me. She has that story. Um, for other people, it's, even if it's financed, I have one friend who just, who thinks about life as a form of an investment. Like you invest in uh, a job, you invest in your health, you invest in certain friendships, people like that. I'd be like, you were born to work in finance. And that's uh, a lot of people think like, oh, there are some industries that are just, you just work yourself to death. But um, in reality, there's, there's kind of a place for everyone. For example, I am terrified of technology. I don't like using my hands to like make things and like woodworking or engineering, but I have some best friends who all they want to do is tinker with things. Like that's just what they do in their free time. And it is, there is a grain of truth when people say, you know, what do you do in your free time? Like, what would you do for free part? Usually there is some element of that, whether it is the act or the tendencies that go into it that translate really well into a profession. And what would you suggest people do if they think they have their, their purpose and uh, their why figured out, but it doesn't seem to be materializing? Ah, that's a great question. So I will also say life is really not fair sometimes. And there are certain barriers that a lot of people face that prevent them from chasing something that they think is their passion. There is definitely something to be said about short-term gratification versus long-term gain. For example, maybe it does require someone to work in a job or a career they don't necessarily like to then be able to pursue something like a purpose or a passion. For me, I am fully aware that I am a it, you have to be a relatively privileged person to even consider passion and purpose in the first place. Um, I like to think of it as like a Maslow's hierarchy of passion in a sense. So at the bottom, you need a 
job that provides financial security. For those people, it's it's the people that just are looking to put food on the table. It's that short-term thinking of like, okay, where is my next meal coming from? People like that, unfortunately, often aren't aren't allowed to think about what is a meaningful job. But then there's a next level of, okay, I do have food on the table. Maybe your parents are providing it. Maybe you just happen to like win the lottery or whatever. Um, that is more of the, what do I want to do that also brings me meaning? And I would say you have to get over that first bump first to even consider that second rung of that hierarchy. So to answer your question, if it isn't working out, then I would consider, I would encourage that person to ask what exactly is not working out about it. Is it I'm too risk averse? Is it like a personal and and mental blockage that's happening? In which case, sometimes you just got to listen. For example, my therapist would sometimes just tell me, Amy, like, fuck it and go do it anyways. You know, like if you're scared, do it. If you fail, you learn from it. There's like, there's no problem there. Um, So it's either a mental blockage. It's, it could be um, a physical blockage. Like maybe you are unfortunately like disabled in a way that doesn't let you pursue those dreams. And in that case, it's, it's just really, really unfortunate. And I would encourage like find something similar that you can still do. Um, Sometimes it's financial. And in that case, you really do just have to make, make that living before you can live a living. Um, And I, I would say those three things, you really need those three things to then be able to kind of naturally transition towards meaning. So I guess I'm just saying that it, it, you do have a lot of privilege if you can think about it, but if you have that privilege, you had better use it because some people, some people just will don't ever have that chance. Uh, you talked about the you know, persistence you have to think about when you're pursuing a certain field. And I was thinking in the context of medicine, if you could shed some light on this, like how long do you think you have to try at something? Cause there's a lot of people that, you know, their parents push them into medicine for a particular reason. How long do you think you would have to try that until you realize, hey, maybe I'm not on the right path here? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be a horrible answer, but it totally depends on the person. <laughs> um, it's The answer is it depends. I can give a concrete example. Like my sister, she went into medicine thinking that she was going to be a plastic surgeon because she wanted to do what helped her live a more confident life. She worked for one semester in the plastic surgery like field and she just hated it. <laughs> she didn't like the people that she was working with. She she felt like it wasn't exactly something that she was good at. So for her, it, it took just a couple of months for her to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm done trying this. But then she just pivoted to elsewhere in the medical field. Now she's deciding between um, OBGYN and, and dermatology. And now her biggest stress is, do I, is my purpose... Um, to help a lot of women and um, support women's health? Or is my purpose uh, something also that's so important to me, which is raising a family and having the time and the resources to do that? I can't make that decision for her, but she's ended up there. Um, for me, I can tell within just two or three months if some if it's something that I like doing. And I think it's because I'm a, I think it's because I force myself to go into that introspective mode of, why do I like this? Or why do I not like this? What are the parts that I like and not like about a job and why? Um, personality types play a huge role in that. And another factor that plays into something is risk aversion. I am, I thought I was a very risk averse person until I hopped like 12 different jobs within the span of two years. And I was like, okay, clearly I'm okay with jumping ship. 
There was another friend that I caught up with last week who said, Amy, I'm working at Bain and consulting. It's not the best job in the world, but I know myself and I know I'm a relatively risk averse person. And I would derive more anxiety and more unhappiness by leaving and pursuing something short term that I don't know the end of right now than just staying here, knowing I'll be a little bit more stable and then promising myself that I'll go back to that. So I think that's why it depends. It's a personality based thing. The, but the more risk averse you are, I would say the longer it takes to um, try something and then realize that, okay, this is or isn't for me. I'd love to talk about why it's possible for people our age to figure out our why. I know there was a quote you brought up in our previous chat, two decades uh, or something. Would love yeah. for you to like, maybe share that quote and uh, talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. So it's um, a really good memory. It's a quote from my book where in my introduction, my author's note, I say a lot of people treat young adults as, you know, immature, like we don't know what we're doing. Um, You know, we're, we're a generation that's creating a lot of havoc, but for me, I'm trying to stand up for our generation and say, no, yes, we've, we've only lived for two decades, but also two decades is not nothing. It's everything we know. And 20 years is a long time. Like people who are 20 have so much insight that sometimes they don't even recognize that they have on, on life. Like we've all at some point at our, in our twenties, we experience love, we experience loss, heartbreak, failure, success, um, achievement. And especially because our world is now increasingly connected through social media and through um, like instantaneous communication methods, it's that much easier to um, to see certain niches um, in a certain profession that interest us. Um, it's also unfortunately easier to get distracted by things, um, but just having all those choices for some people, they see that and it's like, oh my gosh, I have indecision, like anxiety, like choice paralysis. And for other people, they're like, oh no, like now I know that what I want to be is like, I want to be a digital nomad and a content creator on TikTok, or I want to be someone who um, works really closely with a policy maker in, in this office. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. We have a lot more choices to choose from, and we also have a lot more things that we have to say no to. So I would argue that, you know, our generation, we know a lot, a lot more that we give ourselves credit for that other generations give give us credit for. And now we just, our biggest task will be to say no and block things out as opposed to like, say yes to certain things. Um, Yeah. So that's what I would say there. And you mentioned the fact that, you know, we're in an age where we have unlimited choices, basically. And I was wondering what's the utility of just finding something that, you know, you think would be like, I I could find fulfillment in this and just like shutting everything out. Like, when do you think that would be a good idea? Mm. I would think that's a good idea. If you truly feel like you can shut something else out and just focus on that, then do it. Uh, I'm, I'm a total believer in, and like not having those comparisons with other people. Um, it's a human, it's totally human to compare yourself to others. But if I, like I work for my publisher right now, if it's something that I like doing, 
yeah, I'll just, I'll work full time at that and I'll, I'll keep doing it until it's something I no longer want to do. There's always something shiny that we can't see yet. There's always a new, that's going to be a new job that we can't foresee in the next 10, 20 years. So why worry about that when you can find something right now that's, that sort of, you know, keeps you happy or helps you um, maintain that balance between having a career profession or having a meaningful life and a meaningful job or personal life. Um, and I guess one other thing I would say is if, if you are looking to find that forever path, that it is okay to say, this is my forever path now and change your mind later. Like no one is telling you, no one is one of my favorite quotes. No one cares about you as much as you think they do. And what I mean by that is there are a lot fewer expectations on you from society, from your family, from anyone else that you put on yourself. So if you're saying, fuck it, let me just go do this for a period of time, do it. In two days, in two months, in two years, if you decide just kidding, that's totally fine. But I think my mantra is always try something once. And if I don't like it, move on better than to not try it all. Yeah, just do it, right? Freaking just do Nike it. tagline, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should Nike should hire me. Nike should sponsor this podcast. <laughs> so to what extent do you think purpose finds you versus uh has to be found by you? Great question. Combination of both that also while well, my answers are always it depends, but it's sort of like the concept of um are you defined by your genes or by your environment? And of course. It's a little bit of both in, in every scenario, but for someone like me who has uh, randomly experienced a near-death experience that I, I'd never asked for, I would say a lot of it is defined by external factors that I couldn't control. For other people who don't have those uh, crazy, crazy experiences, I would say more of it comes from yourself and, and your, uh, you have to find your purpose as opposed to purpose finding you. For example, one concrete example is like uh, if, if someone loses a loved one in a car crash, then they're probably much more likely to have a purpose in supporting no drunk driving. That's just like a very common example that we've seen. Um, so, yeah, combination of both, depending on what happens in your life. And uh, as we're wrapping up, Amy, do you have any parting advice to young professionals, uh, pre-med med students, anyone that's considering healthcare or just trying to find you know, their why? Yeah. First thing I would ask yourself when you are trying to figure out why is what would you do if you weren't afraid? And if you can answer that and sort of think through the hypothetical steps that you would need to take to get there, you will probably find that one of those steps is something that you can practically implement in your life now and get you closer to where you want to be. And the second one that I will just reemphasize especially for med students who are always in that sort of cutthroat environment is just remember no one is, <laughs> no one thinks about you as much as you think they do. And it sounds horrible, but it should provide a sense of relief. Like you are much smaller, um, which also makes your problems a little bit smaller, which, and it doesn't mean I'm discounting that like everyone has their own struggles, of course, but try not to make decisions based on what you think other people are expecting of you, because in the end, you will not only probably not like those decisions, but you might end up feeling resentful um, at a non-entity. So make those decisions for yourself. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us on 
this week's episode of the MSX podcast. Thanks for having me. (laughs) 